Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? <laughs> Not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. Not what? Not Samsung. That's really, really bad. The Raptors lose to the Lamello-less Hornets, 119-116. to A couple bright spots in this game, obviously, but some things seem clearer than ever. Uh, as a person who wanted a different starting lineup to start this season, who uh, wanted Gary Trent Jr. in the lineup, not necessarily because he's the best of the best, but because it is maybe the best for Scotty and Pascal. Maybe that's what suits this roster most, or at least the starting five. Uh, the Raptors starters once again have a significant amount of trouble in this game. Scotty plus bench, Scotty plus OG plus bench. They get back into this one. The Raptors go back to the starters late. Uh, they give up jump shots. It's tough. You get a 31-point triple-double. 10 rebounds, 10 assists from Scotty Barnes. I thought he was sublime. And I also thought that uh, like he was trans- transformative in the open court. And the Raptors, they allowed him a lot of space to try things in this game. He helped carry lineups that aren't typically that good. It was awesome to see. You got a huge pop from Precious off the bench in this game, 17 and 10. Nuts. But here's the thing, man. You lose to the Hornets, who shoot 13 of 25 from downtown, and get this, they didn't even have LaMelo Ball. Terry Rozier was the lead point guard on the other side of the floor, and I like Terry as a, you know, electric, like an electric scoring guard off the bench, huge shot late over Scotty, but you can't lose to, you know, Hayward, Bridges, Williams, Miller, Rozier. You, that's tough, man, right? A front court of Williams and Richards, I think, which is interesting and has a lot of potential going forward, uh, should not be able to, you know, outdo Jakob for maybe a space in time. Uh, Schroeder should not be getting beat by a guy like Rozier over the course of the game. And the fact that the Raptors did better in those transitional lineups is an indictment of the starting lineup, which, you know, everyone, I made the joke, everyone and their mom made that joke, but the Raptors, it seemed the way they started this game, like they were paying attention to Shohei watch all day. They're looking at their phone saying, is Shohei coming to Toronto? And they come out completely flat. And then they go flat three or four other times in this game, and they have to keep climbing themselves back into it, culminating in the lead, 104 to 103, I believe with a precious Achua three-point shot. He had three out of four tonight. Maybe that doesn't happen that often, but the big change, I'll go find the exact minutes. 
uh, a lot of people are probably wondering about it. The close to the game, they make this huge charge, this huge run, and the Raptors end up, you know, giving it up. I don't know if it bothered me that much that he made the the rotation at the end of the game that he subbed guys in. So here's the substitution pattern with four minutes and 23 seconds left. Terry Rozier hits a three. Oh yeah, it was 103 to one uh, to 100 for what it's worth. Um, actually, it was 103.99 because Scotty got that dunk right. So they're up 103.99. Guys go to the free throw line. That's Brandon Miller. Terry Rozier cans a triple. They're down one. Precious comes out. Malachi comes out. Boucher comes out. Schroeder, Siakam, and Pirtle go in. And I think Siakam was the only effective one of that trio down the stretch. Um, sometimes it's tough, man, because... OG misses the two big threes down the stretch. The Raptors basically can only get stuff going on the inside. Scotty and Pascal hit their shots for the most part. Scotty missed the one late, but that's really tough. He got bailed out and hit two out of three free throws. That's maybe tough. Um, Pascal went baseline, got the layup. But it comes down to probably not over the course of the game. We'll talk about what the Raptors did wrong over the course of the game. But at the end of the game, you know, Brandon Miller is wide. He's just coming off of nothing. Pascal's on him. He catches the ball and just no dribble, pivots into it, hits a triple. That's not a shot he's going to make that often. And with that kind of unconscionable pull to do it, it goes up. There's a contest there. It's a hell of a shot. Terry Rozier hitting like Scotty stuck him. Scotty was there. Late game. The step back to all step backs, like Cardiac Kemba, former Hornet, ball goes in. Raptors on the other side. They get the one possession where Schroeder and Siakam run the pick and roll. Siakam goes on the short roll, gets the feed. You know, Barnes carves out a little lane to cut in in the dunker spot. Pascal, a little touch pass there. Bucket. Next time down, it's Barnes as a screener. And then guess what? He gets open in the short roll. They collapse because Siakam's now in the dunker spot position. They don't want to allow what just happened the play before. They collapse. OG's wide open in the corner. <laughs> the shot doesn't go down. It's tough. Um, Isaac Campbell says, why are they taking home run threes late when shooting 26 of 101 in the last three games? Yeah, I think that um, I think that Scotty spent a lot of, like, I don't want to be too hard on Scotty's. This was Scotty's game. It sucks to lose the Hornets. Like the this is an indictment of the team, but Scotty tonight I thought was fantastic. 31, 10, and 10. Sure, there's five turnovers. Sure, he missed the free throw late, but these are, you know, it's a full game where he was fantastic. Um I thought he dribbled too often. He was really hunting the three-point shot, but probably spent, I think, between the two possessions where he got fouled and missed that final shot. I think that Scotty probably left like seven or eight seconds on the clock just dribbling, trying to get himself into rhythm and find the jumper. It's uh, You probably could have gone quicker and seen what you could have done, like driving to the basket. But then again, he drew the foul on the one. He had a, he had a shot to go and put three points up, but he didn't. That's the only critique I really have of the late offense. They scored the ball late. They just didn't. And like to be quite honest with you, the Hornets hit jumpers late and the Raptors missed like a couple jumpers late and that was the difference late but over the course of the game it's just a hodgepodge of like og goes 0 for 6 from 3 Schroeder goes 0 for 4 from 3 
Gary goes 0 for 3 from 3. Malachi goes 0 for 4 from 3. Chris Boucher goes 0 for 3 from 3. Like, it's it's tough. And Pascal and Scotty, 56 points combined on what, like 33 shots? They were superheroes. Like, guiding the offense through the course of the game, the Raptors should be able to, and really, really should be able to, because they did miss shots. Well, they scored 116 in this bad boy. The biggest problem is the defense. Having a Lamello-less team come in and score 119 points against you, completely unacceptable. I know that Gordon Hayward can kind of like throw it back and provide good offense. He's much better than people. He's still a really strong player. We saw that tonight, working in the middle of the court. Uh, kind of akin to Pascal, right? Using strength creation in the middle, comfortability with a live dribble and hitting those little pop shots. You can really help supply an offense for long stretches and and give some of those laydowns and stuff like that. He goes for 24 and four on like 67% shooting. He can, he's no slouch, but you should be able to withstand a good Gordon Hayward game. Bridges, he's efficient. He gets like, he puts up three triples that go in. He gets to the he gets to the rim a few times, shakes loose with a dribble, and um, Brandon Miller, Terry Rozier, they both give they give you forty one combined. You just can't allow this, and and some of this too is that like the Hornets did a really good job. They were ninety percent from the free throw line. They were fifty two percent from three, but outside of that, I think that the Raptors just gave up too much dribble penetration. And over the course of the game, you just can't withstand that. And even more to this point, I think that this game is particularly disappointing because the Raptors, they did a lot of things right. Sometimes shooting variance comes around and it kicks your ass. That's what happened in this game. Uh, the Raptors, I think, were getting better process, probably playing a better game overall. And guess what? They lose this game, but there's no moral victories against this team because you should have the defensive base that even if they're hitting jumpers, you're taking away so much other stuff that you end up winning anyway, not giving up under 19, but also that this is the culmination now at nine and 13. What are they on a 34, 35 win pace? Is it worse than that? Uh, they've lost a lot of games in a lot of different ways. And they've done, I think like, that is that is what changed, I think, from 2019-20 to the very first game that they lost of the 2020-21 the season against the Pelicans. It seemed like a game that was so much in their hands, and they could have won, but they didn't. And then the Tampa season was an exhibit in changing from a team that was on like a 60-win pace, you know, with Kyle Lowry. Uh, that would win so many types of games, so many different ways, that they'd become a team that can lose so many different types of ways. And it's because they don't do enough things to create the floor and they don't have the, the compete level. And that's something that is, you know, it's really reminiscent of that, the start of this season, because the Tampa Raptors were probably, you know, a decently talented team. They've made decisions. This team is a decently talented team, but it's built kind of funky. Uh, the effort isn't there necessarily as much as it needs to be, especially defensively on a night like tonight. Who is really breaking apart your defense if LaMelo Ball isn't there? 
you can't you can't let Rozier do it continuously. You can't let Brandon Miller do it continuously. It certainly can't be Bridges. Hayward is going to get his, but he shouldn't completely, you know, tear apart your defense. And the Raptors just haven't had that baseline, right? They had the baseline for a moment in time uh, at in the 2021-22 season, but I think Michael Grange wrote an article about it uh, today. Maybe it came out where he's talking about, you know, kind of means testing that that run, like how good were the teams they were playing? Uh, how much of it was three-point variance? What are the the COVID aspects that kind of factored into this? And kind of doing the means testing on and asking, like, was this team ever all that? And then you could go to the end of last season, too. It's like the Raptors get Jakob Pertl. They start winning at a 47-win pace. They have a lineup in... Um, you know, their starting lineup this season, except you swap out Dennis Schroeder and Fred Van Vliet, suddenly that's a 96th percentile offensive lineup. And then when Fred was off the floor last season, when Jakob was on the floor, it was second percentile. So the swap has been really tough to stomach so far. And it makes me want to talk about the thing that should be talked about, the thing that I wanted to happen from the start of the season, and the thing that I think is maybe an inevitability. They need to change the starting lineup. And I don't I don't think for the record. And I got I got some flack for this. Here's the thing, guys. I don't use mean words to describe the players. I describe what they're doing poorly on the court. That's what I consider to be criticism, not like calling names or anything. Just because people say I don't. If you listen, I critique the play. Dennis, I think, has been really bad recently. And I think that he's forced too many shots. And I think he's been feeling like he has to force more shots because of this stagnant offense. But the thing is, the stagnant offense is part and parcel of Dennis not being able to create a lot of advantages out of the Raptors' rote basic packages. It's kind of there. And then feeling that onus to to create more and score more is a little bit tough. And Schroeder not being able to get downhill often enough, not being able to use the screener often enough, not being able to get deep in the paint be comfortable there and make shots in that pop shot area, not being able to make the skip to the corner, but instead gnashing the pick and roll and turning it into a reset, winding stuff down the clock, missing, what is he, like 26, 27% from three since his first six or seven games. This stuff is bad, but that doesn't mean he's selfish. Dennis is playing bad. And I think it's time to take that bad play and put it on the bench. And I think it's time for Gary, even though you like to, you like to in basketball, motivate people by elevating them when they play well, not just like trying to change things when they aren't going well and putting, putting Gary in the starting lineup, like after a game where he goes 0 for 7 is kind of tough. That's, that's maybe not something you'd want to do, but. Raptors need a change up in the starting lineup. It is a high volume lineup at this point in the season that has lost a ton, a ton, a ton of possessions. And they lost more of them tonight. They weren't able to, a hapless, honestly, feckless, let's say, a Hornets team, they're not able to come out and dominate them. If you have a starting lineup of OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Jakob Pertl, Scotty Barnes, and Dennis Schroeder, even if Dennis isn't playing up to snuff, you got to be able to take that lineup and beat whoever the Hornets put out there, even if LaMelo was healthy. This, this, uh, this is exactly how it needs to happen. 
but they didn't. And there's been other teams that I think have underperformed or aren't that great that this starting lineup has not been able to effectively start games against or in the middle of games, figure it out. There was a time when they would have strong third quarters, a portion of this season, a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot of really strong third quarters from Pascal Siakam helped buoy that. But this team, they need a shakeup. Dennis isn't supposed to be a lead guard. I've said this on maybe every podcast, but he's a mid-level exception guard. Most teams who are good either have a star on a rookie contract or a guard who is like borderline max extension or on the max. The backcourt is so important in the NBA and the Raptors just don't have it. That's because like, do you consider Scotty Barnes a shooting guard? Maybe you do, but he doesn't really play like a shooting guard. Uh, The Raptors don't necessarily use him like a shooting guard. OG would be the closest comp for a shooting guard, but even then, it's not necessarily like a shooting guard. The Raptors have a very weak backcourt, and you can see that in every single game, most notably with their lack of advantages created in early clock scenarios. What do they have to go to all the time to score in this game and in many other games? A Siakam post-up where he can eat, draw a double, do whatever. It's been incredible offense so far this season, and it's been good, dependable offense over the course of the last four years, let's say. Maybe two or three for the post-up specifically. They have Scotty Barnes, early offense, pseudo-transition. He completely buckled the Hornets' defense. When he got a ball, like a rebound, starts taking up the court, he is so big and he's always moving forward that he pressures the defense to make different reads, to step up at different times, and he has that height to create different pathways and different avenues for the ball to reach a guy at the bucket. This is why Scotty can pass guys into so many layups. Like broken plays, transition, whatever it needs to be. Not not usually from a standstill. Sometimes, though, the pick and roll has been better this year. Um, tapered off a little bit the last few games. These guys need a little bit more help. And if Dennis is going to be the the touches king on the team, it's not because Dennis is selfish. Darko wants his offense run a certain way. Darko is putting, like, these guys go to practice, and Dennis is getting those same touches, not because Dennis is out there and he's like, I'm going to take the shots. I'm going to touch the ball. He's going out there and he's running the offense, the offensive packages that the Raptors want to run. I think that there should be a shakeup in hierarchy to some degree, as I've been saying the whole season, basically, because the Raptors have had trouble getting their wings, driving lanes all season. That's a spacing problem, obviously. And I think that there will be more driving lanes just passively if Gary Trent is out there with his gravity instead of Dennis. Dennis doesn't draw closeouts. Guys always stop short with him. They just get a hand up It's and they play off of him. I think that there's passive stuff to be gained from Gary stepping in instead. You're going to miss a little bit of live dribble creation, but I think it would make sense to tailor the offense a little bit more towards the wings. Maybe it's not Siakam with as much live dribble creation. Maybe more of those Dennis possessions go to Scotty because you want this year to also be for the purpose of development. Scotty, who knows what happens with Pascal? He's been one of my favorite players to cover. I love watching his game. I'd love to cover him going forward. But you have to be mindful 
of what Scotty's development looks like, putting guys who help space the floor around him, putting guys who can cut off of him, putting guys who can help him in a manner of different ways, building that way. We saw it for stretches. Um, it helps that Scotty can just like come into a game and shoot three of six from downtown. And it's really impressive that Pascal can worm around and work his way into 25 points on 15 shots, 73% from the field. I think Pascal's almost, I think he's at like 58 or 59% this season inside the arc. Really efficient offense. And at this point, I think he's what, like 77% from the free throw line. Some of the stuff has gotten better. The three-point shot still has to come around to where it's normal. He's shooting like 21% on wide open threes this year. Usually you can have him around 36, between 34 to 37%. That's been the norm. Some stuff has to normalize or is expected to normalize. But here's the thing, man. Really, uh, the Raptors need more than Scotty and Pascal. And if they're not going to get more than Scotty and Pascal, they need more Scotty and Pascal. That's that's just the the crux of it. And that's more of like an overall thing. I think that these guys obviously dominated this game and did it in almost completely separate parts too was the interesting thing. Uh, Scotty without Pascal on the floor, Pascal without Scotty on the floor. That's the good thing because it means you can win when the your two best players, when the other guy's sitting, you can win minutes or you can have good offense. You can do that kind of stuff. But you need to be able to coalesce when these guys are playing together. And there need to be these connective players that help link your stars. And I think Gary will probably be closer to that than Dennis. Dennis has really been struggling lately. It's uh it's tough. But this game is emblematic. This game doesn't define the season, but it's emblematic of the season. Uh just missing like 19% from three is nuts, man. That's crazy. And and honestly, like the, the pick and roll coverage on defense was not good. We've seen we've seen a lot of games recently, actually, where and I talked about this, Jakob Pertl has been really good at setting the edge and really good at making sure got like finding the middle ground, setting the edge, and also making sure they can't split to go back the other way. And he just did not have it tonight either. And so what became really important? Precious Achua stepping in. Precious was the plus four. And while Precious's uh, first stretch of the game did not feature good defense, really, a lot of that was also jump shots. And that stretch in the fourth quarter that Precious was a part of, that Scotty was a part of, that that Scotty plus bench and then Scotty plus OG plus bench thing was happening was they were way better guarding the point of attack because of switching, which helps kind of nullify all the things you're trying to. But early on, the Raptors not being able to bottle up Gordon Hayward, letting him get deep, letting the, you know, the Hornets find rotation off of that, cut into space, hit threes. It's like, you can't, you can't be undone that easily. This is a team that I think everybody should have known, should have known, was not going to be strong offensively. They're not strong offensively, uh, not remotely. They have to win games with a defensive floor that is quite high. And they have to be able to strive towards a defensive ceiling. If you cannot do that, if that is not a possibility for you, game in and game out, then this team's not going to win games. They don't have the offensive cohesion. They don't have the offensive skill sets. And to some degree, they don't have exactly the offensive talent to run with the big guns. 
What they do have is a ton of athleticism, a ton of length, and that is meant to be weaponized to help you get a lot of stops, play a diverse amount of defense, because they do have the skill sets and the size on the roster now to play a diverse style of defense and to run out and transition with your one of the best transition players in the world, Scotty Barnes as a decision maker, and one of the best transition finishers in the league in Pascal Siakam. I'm going to take a drink of water. It's just. I'll give myself a little break. A lot of talking. Um, James says the defense doesn't even look good. You're darn right, man. Uh, it doesn't. There were stretches in this game where the Raptors' defense did look good. But again, these are just stretches. And not and no, every team is chasing the elusive, the carrot on a stick of the 48-minute performance. I get it. But they had too many lapses. You're going to have lapses. It's a game of runs, yada, 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 of course. But the Raptors had too many. And they also have too many offensive lapses. And it's just led to a season where they're 9-13 and 13 and they're underperforming on defense. They're maybe, what, at this point, like middle of the pack, 13th or 14th. I don't think they dropped 15th or below after this game. It's, it's inexcusable to some degree. And, and a lot of things went the right way for them in this game. Like, a lot of things went the wrong way, of course. You know, like, there's, there's no getting around that. Um, but a lot of things went the right way. You won all of the Scotty plus bench minutes. You know? Like, you turned it around. You won. And if you didn't win with one specific lineup where there's, like, one guy subbed out, you were close. You got 17-10 and 10 off the bench from Precious Sachua. You got the 31-point, 10-10 triple-double from Scotty Barnes, the youngest player in franchise history, to do so, the 30-point triple-double. You got Pascal Siakam, 25 points, 4 assists, 5 boards on 15 shots. And like, man, you lose this one. That's tough. And you have the, the Hornets broadcast, which is you know, very good at what they do. I was I was consistently intrigued by their infographics, the thing they the things they pay attention to. Like they they knew a ton about the Raptors. Um talked about a lot of like interesting quirks and all that kind of stuff. But they also can't remember the play by play guy. He's he's like a legend because he's kind of like a WWE announcer. But he was talking about like he was kind of incred incredulous, had had a sense of incredulity about the Raptors trading a first-round pick for Jakob Pertl. Just thinking about it openly on, on the broadcast, he's like, wow, I can't believe they traded... Well, sorry, I don't want to paraphrase. But anyway, he was talking about it. Um, interesting, obviously. It's... Uh, I got to talk about it every single game after these things. And I know... I know, <laughs> like, nobody wants to hear concessions or excuses, or anything like that. But this game wasn't as bad as it seemed for the reason that, like, the Hornets were hitting some jumpers, some big-time jumpers. But also get this, you know? Here's the thing. The Raptors have a lot of these games piling up. And if you're a team that wins a lot of the games that they're supposed to, steals some games that they're not meant to, and has a letdown game like this every once in a while, sure. But the Raptors are just full of letdown games, man. So there's no excuses for what this is. It's just, yeah. Top Shot Tesla asks, 
Wonder what is fueling the constant slow starts. Feels like we've been down 15 almost every first quarter, leaving us no margin of error down the stretch. What is fueling it? The Raptors starting lineup is is one of the worst high volume lineups in the NBA. And by high volume, I mean they've played a lot of possessions, a lot of minutes together. And most high volume lineups win minutes because teams want to win minutes because teams want to win games. So the teams, the lineups that they play a lot of minutes win minutes and they struggle to figure out the in-between stuff. The Raptors, for the most part, have won a lot of the in-between stuff, except for Scotty plus bench, which should see a significant boost after this game. Uh, But here's the thing. They lose their starters minutes all the time. Why? Bad spacing. Not a proper allocation of possessions. I think that Darko has tapped into something quite good with a lot of the high-low stuff. And maybe he likes Dennis in the starting lineup because it creates a situation where, you know, teams don't want to switch the high-low stuff when they go guard wing back screens, which... The Raptors run a ton of the Princeton offense and try and work that in with Scotty and Pascal and OG, but I don't know, man. It would probably be just as well if they were switching that and then one of Pascal or OG or Siak or or Scotty get a chance to ISO on the guy who is switching. Like you can you can try and do it different. Um maybe Jakob gets less assists this way, but who knows? They just lose minutes, and largely because they are bad offensively. And they are bad offensively because I think that they don't correctly allocate possessions, and they're bad offensively because they don't shoot the ball very well. You have, a, you have some guys who help supplement their lack of shooting, like Pascal shooting nearly 60% inside the arc, being basically the Raptors' sole representative of paint scoring um, unassisted paint scoring this season. It's really important to be able to get unassisted points in the paint. But Pascal is still underperforming from three. If that gets back up to passable, if he's ever sniffing 30% from three this season, it's good. Great. That's all-star impact. Since he's shooting the ball so poorly from three, he's probably been below that this season. But he's still been so good at creating offense. Scotty, I think, has been tremendous this season. Defensively, when he's put in strong positions, I think that he's a hell of a playmaker. I think that he's done well to create and take as many possessions in transition as possible. I think that his jump shot has helped really, really affect and change how teams see him as a half-court operator. Maybe not a live dribble creator so much yet, taking most of those live dribble opportunities in the open court, but hitting so many threes from catch and shoot completely it completely changes how he's able to score when the game is slowed down he can punish a team for sagging off he can when the team collapses on somebody else make them pay he is a tremendous playmaker who can find the man at the bucket on the weak side in the corner when the when the defense does break down when they are in scramble mode and he's a hell of an offensive rebounder. He, he can be diverse. He can set screens. He can run plays off them. He can do all that kind of stuff. I think he's been great. OG has been really strong this season, even if this wasn't his best game, from a defensive and offensive point of view. But Jakob, he needs to... It's Jakob, I think, has been... He wasn't very good tonight, but I think that he's been strong lately. And I think that 
Scotty and Pascal both need to keep working on the pacing of the pick and roll to try and utilize a really good roll big in Jakob. But the problem is typically that the Raptors don't have the shooting on the floor to make sure that other teams pay for tagging Jakob. And a tag, for example, is if there's a guy in the corner, right? And you don't, and Jakob is rolling into the lane and he's open, that guy comes over from the corner and makes sure that he can dig in on that pass to Jakob, whether it's a bounce pass or otherwise. And teams can also collapse the paint too hard. If you don't have a strong shooter in that opposite corner, teams get to load up on your best players with no punishment. And so there has to be some work to be done on the Raptors getting Jakob the ball rolling to the rim because he's such a good finisher, because he has such good pacing there. But also that the Raptors don't really have the shooting to maximize these actions. And the high-low stuff too, the split action stuff too, would work a lot better in games like tonight and otherwise if they shot the ball well, but they don't. There's a reason that the Fred Van Vliet plus Jakob pick and roll pairing was like a really strong, it was a really strong pairing. It, it was good. The points per possession was good. The offensive rating when they were on the floor was good. There was direct correlation. They're running it. The offense works well enough. Other guys benefit from the spacing, the roll gravity, all that kind of stuff. But it's not happening this year. And I would rather lean harder into the big, big pick and rolls or the snug pick and rolls, all that kind of stuff. Oh, like Pascal wasn't just post up tonight. He ran a lot of snug pick and rolls with Jakob, got into space, made other defenders step up and try and guard him. He, the Raptors, they need to move more of the offense towards the wings. And that doesn't mean that the offense is going to be good. It means that it's probably going to be better. And it probably means that you're going to be able to lean harder into Scotty's development. And I, I choose that path, to be quite honest with you. That is that is the path I choose. Um, and once again, I don't think that means that Schroeder is selfish. I don't think that means that Schroeder isn't worth the mid-level exception. I don't think anything like that. I just think Schroeder would be somebody who can help lead bench units, transitional lineups. He and Pascal so far this year have paired quite well in their lineups. You know, well, especially when Jakob is out there. Schroeder has a pretty good sense of how to get Pascal the ball when he's rolling. He and Scotty have struggled more often in that regard. So there's things that need to be need to change. Um, I I think a change in the starting lineup would be healthy and good. It's it's obviously like I said, not you know ideal to elevate a guy after he's 0 for seven and Gary has not been strong this season. I think he's disappointed with a lot of the playmaking. I think he's disappointed with a lot of his two point scoring, uh, getting to the floater not as effective, making some of those progressive reads not as effective, decision-making against closeouts when the defense is already um, collapsed, not as effective, but he still provides spacing, and the Raptors so dearly need that. And I think, Scotty, going forward, it's uh, something that has to be considered. Um, Daniel Brody says, the fully healthy Raptors had a 51st percentile half-court offense against the worst defense in the NBA. That's right, brother. It's not great um, from Top Shot Tesla. A donation, uh, just as a heads up uh, for donations, I get all of that. So if you want to support that way, that's cool. I don't want to like grovel for money or anything <laughs> or anything like that. But thank you to, to the people who do no donate. Top Shot Tesla says or gives five dollars and says it just seems like they come out sluggish every night, like not even fit wise. I'm talking more defensively, just pure lack of effort to start games. 
Um, thank you for the donation, first of all. Secondly, yeah, the defensive intensity is not where it needs to be, ever. Uh, not not for, I think, quite a stretch of games now. And Jakob helps erase some of that when he's at his best because he can be such an affecting paint presence when he's on his game. We saw to start the season, he wasn't necessarily. Over the past 10 games, I think he's been, well, maybe seven or eight games, I think he's been quite strong. But the Raptors, the point of attack stuff has been uh, been a lot rougher. And I think that's also because they, partly because they haven't been able to keep Scotty lower in the defense. I think that they are running into a little bit of trouble with, you know, live dribble guard creators, which they ran into trouble with them when Fred was there. Uh, they've, Schroeder's defense has actually, uh, it's not been as effective over the past handful of games as it was to start the season two. Uh, the Raptors are just not getting the same level of defensive performances as they were at the start of the season. That's tough, man. That's uh, that's not something you can survive. And while the offense did start trending up, it's certainly not trending up to the point where you can erase the losses on defense. This team has to be good defensively. And to get back to this game specifically, they just weren't good enough defensively tonight. I'm rehashing the same things over and over again. I don't know what to... Let me just talk about Precious. How about we do that? Precious was awesome. Uh, I don't always, because it feels like fool's gold sometimes, when Precious's good games align with good three-point shooting. I like the Precious games where like it's rebounds, at-rim finishes, cuts a lot. Like Those are my favorite types of Precious games. Now, the 3 of 4 from downtown game is pretty fun. They were more fun when it seemed believable that he was like turning the corner as a three-point shooter. It's been very, very hit or miss, obviously, since the end of the 2021-22 season. But I thought that Precious was awesome tonight. I thought that he elevated the way that they could play defense. I thought he gave them access to different coverages. I thought that his complete level on the boards both ways was really strong. And... He like he was everywhere. He's cleaning up on the offensive glass. He's cutting into the lane. He's hitting threes. A go-ahead three with like six minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's big time from that guy. And it's you can't turn your nose up at 17 and 10 in 21 and a half minutes ever. Um, Richard Pilsky says the fact Miami gave up on Precious kind of says a lot. They know young talent. They didn't necessarily give up on him. They traded him for Kyle Lowry, who they paid $30 million a year. They thought Kyle was of some consequence, right? They they weren't just like doing it for, excuse my language, like shits and giggles, right? They like they thought Kyle, Kyle has aged a little bit more aggressively than some people thought. His last years with Toronto made people think probably he could be like Andre Miller. He is to some degree till like he's like 46 or whatever. Um, Precious still has, I think, a tremendous amount of upside. It has been disheartening a little bit. Some of the gaffes he's made defensively, some of the decision-making offensively, I think he does have a really strong sense of when to cut. I think he is a tremendous finisher. Like He was 93rd percentile in all of the NBA last season in points per chance on cuts. And I didn't get to talk to him about it because he was uh injured to start the season but i watched all of his cuts and was gonna talk about it with him maybe that's something i'll do later this season but i think that he has a pretty good sense 
in some aspects of the basketball, a good feel for where to be, what to do. But on in other aspects, I think he struggles. And that means that he can't properly utilize his elite, 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 totally jarring athleticism. And I think that shooting the ball really helps simplify his offensive process because we saw it 2021, 2022. Um, being able to pump and go is pretty linear decision-making. If he gets that closeout, he can go downhill. The shot making has not been at the same level. The finishing is way better. You know how his first like two months with the Raptors, he was like, what, 41 or 42% true shooting? Precious has completely flipped the script on his finish. I know he blew that bunny tonight. I like, I know he missed like a one-foot bunny and almost airballed it. It went off the front of the rim going sideways. But I, his his finishing has improved tremendously. I think that he's extremely adept at making contact layups. I think that he's really good at finishing with both hands. There's a lot of interesting stuff with Precious. And Richard Pilsky, I'm just not sure. You say, I'm just not sure he'll ever play at this level consistently. Hope I'm wrong. We all hope we're wrong when we critique a player, you know? And and like, I, I credit you for doing so in like a kind way. Um, it's tough. It's tough to expect a lot from players when they don't give it to you consistently. And it's exciting to try and like hang your hat on a precious at you, a 17 and 10 game. I hope that this is a step forward. It seems less likely because he goes three or four from downtown. And maybe that's not, maybe that's not something that you can like set your watch to. However, um, YA brings up something, quote, I think Precious hasn't had the opportunity to play with the starting unit enough. Players like him also would um, also benefit from a true point, end quote. That is something that I think uh, I have a friend, uh, T. He's very dead set on Precious starting for the Raptors. I know not everybody will agree. Actually, majority of people won't agree with that. But Precious is a guy who, if you simplify the role, you make it a little bit more direct. If he's surrounded by better players who create more advantages, the decision-making becomes a little bit more linear. He can lean on more of his strengths. And uh, I think that Precious would benefit from that. The Raptors overall, I don't know. And they also they trade a first-round pick for Jakob. If you trade a first-round pick for Jakob, you sign him to four years, $80 million, uh, and you don't start him. Good Lord, that's tough. Um, <laughs> that's Yeah, that's very tough. Um, KO says, would you take Precious or Nas Reed long-term? Uh, Nas Reed is awesome. Uh, I've been a very, very big Nas fan for a long time. He is, I think, the only prominent member of the Jelly fam, if anybody remembers them, to get leagued and to like have a career and stuff like that. They are both incredibly special athletes, Re like really, really special athletes. Um, they move incredibly. They they're both like lithe. They're both fast. They're both coordinated. They like the way their bodies move going downhill is just like water running down a jagged mountain pass or something like that. Um, Nas's ball skills are just way way farther along at this point that and also Nas I think more consistently kind of taps into that uh, smash mouth basketball type of game Nas has been awesome so Nas going forward uh, but I, I still like Precious going forward obviously we need we need to see more and sometimes this positivity cannot necessarily pay off but I think that Precious deserves a ton of optimism after this game and I still feel optimistic about him going forward 
Um, he needs to be coached, of course. He needs to be maximized, of course. But there's just so much there. Um, you know, I hope he finds the best way forward for his own game because there's a few different ways it could go. I think the easiest one is if Precious really focuses on the big man type of stuff. And I, I think that that would probably be the easiest way forward. Precious might want a little bit more of the creation stuff that maybe we saw at the end of 2021-22, where he's able to tap into his, you know, open court playmaking, his his interesting and unique handle, and his incredible burst in the front court. But the Raptors probably aren't going to be able to guide a lot of possessions towards that. I don't even know how they would really. Um, and, and he has to be quicker to identify them. To go back to Nas Reed, Nas is not a, a guy who takes a lot of time to get into his bag. It's a very special bag for a front court player. And he's very quick to decide what he's going to do and to start busting out moves that most front court players can't contend with. Precious at times can completely obliterate another front court player in isolation, but he's not quick getting to those moves, which is why he's been more effective on cuts that are already headed towards the rim. And some of these open court stuff, uh, I think he has to get into his bag a little bit quicker. Daniel Brody asks, what do you make of his impact stats overall? I don't think stuff like EPM, BPM, LeBron are the be-all, end-all, but they're pretty ugly since 2021-22. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, I actually don't, I don't pay that much attention to catch-all stats. Um, for anybody who, you know, kind of pays attention to my written work, maybe especially, um, I do a lot of film work. So I'm, I'm happy to look at a catch-all stat. If, if it's presented to me, but I typically like to know what goes into a stat. And like Blake Murphy and Lewis Zatzman, for example, are two guys that when they use a defensive stat, they may have actually looked at the formula, see how each stat is weighted, and kind of know why a stat pops out X or Y as the answer. Like when you look at LeBron or Raptor and you say, why is Fred Van Vliet considered like a top 15 player every year? that kind of stuff for some people would completely, they wouldn't like that metric at all, but maybe those guys could look in and say, well, I think this is why this metric likes this player so much, for example, but um, catch all metrics, I think are great for fans to interact with. Uh, I cover one team and I get to watch every game. I talk to you guys about it after every game and I watch a ton of film in between. So I just try and focus on like the film and stuff, but I, I like catch alls well enough. I just don't use them in my work. Uh, very often. Um, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with catch-alls as long as people don't present them as the be-all, end-all, let's say. Um, the type of stats I really do hate are kind of like the uh, stats that in the name don't actually capture what they do. Like having like a defensive versatility stat and like throwing like a B plus on it or an A minus basically means nothing to me. Like it, it, you're just not capturing something. I love stats that can capture exactly what they say. Like, you know exactly what that stat is doing. Like, an assist, I love assists. Why? Because we know what it is. An advantage assist, which is something I pay attention to and belabor to do, I love those because we know what it is. It's when you're giving um, when you're giving somebody an advantage for the assist. Um, KO, NBA University, ruined NBA Twitter. He also pretended to be a girl on Twitter to get attention. Pretty crazy as far as that goes. But anyway... Um, <laughs> uh, what, what other stats do I really love? I don't know. Like the, the catch all stats I think are great. And I think it's really cool, um, that people go through the work 
to collect the stats and put it all together and like have the coding talent to scrape data and all that kind of stuff. Um, hell yeah, good for them. But as somebody who I get paid to do this, so I have the time to go watch the film, I just lean on that. But catch-alls are a, a net good thing. Um, Nesta, biggest concern is what happened to the beaming smile Scotty entered the league with. It's been long since I've seen him joyous and exuberant. Hmm. I am not typically, and I don't blame because we all invest a lot of time into this. I don't blame anybody for like smile watch, but it's not something I pay a ton of attention to. But as far as like, is he smiling less? Maybe. I guess he could be. He was pretty smiley that first year. Maybe less smiley last year. Maybe less so this year. If, if the Raptors were good, I think this would be marketed as like, he's got that dog, he's getting more serious, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's probably, uh, I think, uh, what I would say. But I mean, Scotty, I, I hope he's happy a lot. I hope that uh, all these guys are really happy a ton. Um, I hope they enjoy themselves. I hope everyone listening enjoys themselves. I just want people to be happy for the most part. Um, top shot, top shot Tesla with another do donation, $2 quote, support independent media are our paywalls dope uh, end quote. Thank you once again, man. Uh, yeah, we do a paywall so that we can try and stay alive over at RR. And that means that my written work and Lewis Asman's written work for the most part is paywalled. And as far as the analysis of the Raptors, I like to think that Raptors Republic has been the cutting edge for years now. Um, if you want to see film, if you want to see numbers, if you want to see, you know, knowledge of plays, play style and play types, all that kind of stuff, I think it's been the place to go. And uh, the support is awesome because we want to be able to do this for a living, all that kind of stuff. And then another donation, which is ex incredibly kind from Samuel Barefoot, says watching on a five minute delay, just got to the part where all the super chat money goes to you guys. Good stuff. Yeah. Raptors Republic has been incredibly uh, transparent about, you know, where money goes and um, with with the writers and all that kind of stuff. I can't vouch enough for the guys at the top of Raptors Republic. So thank you for for donating. Um, back to basketball, though. <sighs> James Welch says, who smiles when they lose? That's the truth of it, man. Uh, you know, Pascal Siakam, he said it like it must have been 18 times last year. Uh, like <laughs> winning solves everything. And the Raptors were maybe a little bit more competitive last season than they've been this season um winning does solve a lot and like you you see it for the in-season tournament the players are like grinding for an extra 500k um when you win it's 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 a lot easier to stomach any type of thing like og at the end of the season if they lose and they're bad and he isn't getting the possessions he wants for example and he's like we lost games, we weren't a good team, and I didn't even necessarily get to grow my game. I know he's 26, and I know analysts are probably seeing the end of his development curve or something like that. But he doesn't have to. He can want things for his game. You know, player and organization don't, don't always have to agree, and they'll have to bridge that gap, obviously. But if the Raptors are winning, this kind of stuff probably doesn't matter nearly as much. Richard Pilsky says, same with Cade, he must be miserable. I can't imagine playing for Detroit, dude. I can't even I can't even imagine 
covering Detroit. I know Jack Kelly. He lives in Australia, so he covers the NBL and the Detroit Pistons. I love his work. I, I love Jack. I don't know how he does it because I like even just if you go to the the comment section um, of last night's or last game's comment section, people people are calling me derogatory words because of like my refusal to name call players or like the way I give critiques and this kind of stuff ratchets up the worse the team gets, the more angry everybody gets. And then the people who talk about the game, whether you're a person who, you know, talks about it on Twitter as a member of the fan base or whether somebody who covers the team, you get a lot of like nasty stuff directed towards you. I didn't run into much of that when the Raptors were really good. You know, everybody is like extremely happy to talk about the team. Like when you get to talk about like these interesting lineups that win minutes because the Raptors just win all their minutes. Everybody's like, cool thing you showed me. And then if you like write, hey, this lineup isn't working, uh, people do get mad, all that kind of stuff. It is a weird job um, doing too much like inside baseball commentary right now. Um, I feel like, yeah, Top Shot Tesla says, Jakob is a stinky doo-doo head. Um, a joke for Raptors PR or Jakob if you're seeing this, of course. Um, I'll answer like a couple more basketball questions, then I'll get out of here. Uh, but yeah, just want to stress, you know, in the interim, but for answering these questions, like Scotty, oh, Caitlin Cooper in chat. Okay, here's a good one. Okay, we'll talk NBA wide stuff. Caitlin Cooper, for anybody in chat, um, go to Caitlin Cooper's Patreon. She is the best basketball writer in the world. If you think you learn anything from me, you'll learn 10 times more from her, of course. Um, who is my pick to win the in-season tournament tomorrow, Lakers or Pacers? I would really like it to be the Pacers. And if there's a trade to be made between the Raptors and Pacers this season, uh, I would really like it to happen. Um, that way you and I could could talk about it um, for consumption. And I think that would be really fun um, going both ways. And then a bunch of Raptors fans could discover uh, your old work, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it'll be the Pacers. I wonder about because I saw the Raptors guarding the Pacers pick and roll. Obviously, I saw them guarding a lot of the Halliburton actions. I saw that Halliburton, even though they ended up beating the Pacers, I saw that Halliburton had an answer to so many of those coverages. And I don't think that the Lakers will be able to throw as much. And I know Anthony Davis is there, who is more of a singular force to change a basketball game when he's on than a lot of other players. But I don't think he'll be in the vicinity of Tyrese. And Tyrese is, as a guy who's developed into a player who provides not the exact level, but is starting to get to like a similar level of Steph Curry pull up three manipulation. Um, you can you can beat a lot of coverages that way. We saw him beat a lot of the rappers coverages that way. I think that Tyrese has been on one. I think that Tyrese will stay on one. And I think that he will end up guiding the Pacers to the inaugural, inaugural, inaugural uh, in-season tournament championship. And I hope they hang that banner. We're going to start building some of that new lore now. Um, I think that's uh, that's uh, where, I'm, where I'm at. Taco and Nacho Battle Channel um, reminds me of Smosh, like the food battles. Quote, Pacers have so much young talent, I feel bereft. <laughs> uh, I think that the depending on how the Raptors go about things at the trade deadline, their young their stock of young talent and assets or whatever could could start to look interesting um maybe not as interesting if guys had been traded at different times but uh definitely could look very interesting although like 
Tyrese is a guy who, and this credit, a credit to Tyrese, especially, I think JJ Redick and uh, Austin Rivers were talking about this earlier today on TV. I saw a clip of it on Twitter. I don't have cable. Um, they were saying that Tyrese would, would be one of the most likable and most wanted to play with players in the NBA. It's because Tyrese can make your life really easy. And so what Tyrese does not only is gets his own numbers and leads the, you know, I don't know about relative offensive rating, but flat offensive rating, the greatest basketball offense of all time to this point. Um, he creates a lot of easy looks for players. He makes guys look better offensively. He makes guys jobs easier and he makes other scouts, other decision makers think higher of them and probably get paid more, probably be seen as worth more in trades. Um, Raptors fans should be well aware of the Kyle Lowry effect where Kyle Lowry just kept getting people paid and he just kept running teams beautifully and he just kept creating great offense. Halberton does it differently, of course. And I think that, you know, Rick Carlisle has a stronger grip hold on the structure of the Pacers offense than Dwayne Casey or Nick Nurse did on the Raptors offense. But I really do think Tyrese is just like, hand him the ball throw a couple screens in there, see, and he'll, he'll figure it out. Um, Richard Pilsky says he's made Turner such a better player and also credit to credit to Turner. He's been able to lean into his driving game more often um, the past couple seasons since Sabonis left and, and hell yeah for Sabonis and, and the Kings and what they've been doing. But uh, it's been really interesting to see Turner take steps as a driver too, because uh, that's the other answer to like a stretch big, He's like, okay, you're a stretch big now. You draw closeouts, which Turner doesn't always draw closeouts. What do you do once you get them? Can you make progressive reads? Uh, and Turner has really made steps. Um, Stevie says Woj basically reported that Hallie wants OG. Uh, I feel you could ask any star player, do you want OG? They would say yes. But I did see that report that they're looking for a two-way wing. Uh, depending on what you think about Pascal Siakam, he also fits the bill. Uh, Pascal was interesting for a different reason for the Pacers because uh, kind of what I talked about with Pascal shooting almost 60% inside the arc, getting most of his points there, obviously, he would provide a different dynamic to the Pacers offense for presumably the grind of the, the playoffs. That's the, that's the Siakam upside. And then the OG upside is that OG is a great deal better defensively than Pascal. And OG can slide into any offense in the NBA and just be a multiplier help. Um, you could find room for OG on any team. With Pascal, it's a little bit harder. Um, Nesta says Pascal next to Turner would be an awesome pair. It certainly would. Um, the Pacers can't really go wrong with either Pascal or OG. Um, and I don't know what the packages look like coming back. Well, actually, I have an idea, but I don't want to talk about it that much. Um, uh, Coco says everyone wants OG. That's the truth of it. Ain't that the truth of it? Okay, we've talked for almost an hour at this point. Um, huge thank you to everybody who donated. That's incredibly kind. Um, it's it's really nice. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening in. All of the comments, all of the commentary, it makes the bounce back way easier, um, way easier to talk about, to do this at 1030 at night when everybody's engaging and thoughtful and insightful. Uh, thanks to everybody for hopping in. Uh, whoever's listening to this on the podcast app, on your walk, the dog, a walk for mental health, uh, just a late night listen, whatever it is. Thanks for tuning in. 
and uh okay one more one more question <laughs> uh daniel brody says do you think og is more of a ceiling raising defender than a floor raiser i think that he's both i think that that is why og is so good because og provides both things not many players provide both ceiling and floor and i you know like pascal with the three-point shooting you might think that, and especially with his ability to initiate offense, you might look at more of like, he can raise the floor of a team greatly. Like you can just sub him onto a team. If you give him the possessions, he's going to give you way better looks on average than what you were getting before. You're just going to see that. And I think uh, I think that's maybe a conversation about Pascal. And then Pascal defensively and with the three-point shot, you can talk yourself into ceiling raising depending on context, all that kind of stuff. Pascal's still the better player, obviously, but it's just fit. Um, OG is the rare guy who can raise ceiling and raise the floor. He's tremendous. Um, as everybody says all the time, It's it, there's no question why everybody wants uh, OG. Um, another $2 from Top Shot Tesla. Quote, appreciate you as always, Samson. James Hart's Masai. I don't know what's going on in the chat, if that's like a shot. My apologies for reading it out if I'm fueling a, a beef or a, a competition or anything. But uh, thank you for the donation. Okay, it's it's we're all done. We've been talking for over an hour at this point. Thank you to everybody for listening in. Um, to all the people who donated, to all the people listening, you are the best, of course. Um, I've been Samson Folk. Whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.